Welcome to Platypod, the official podcast of the Committee for the Anthropology of Science, Technology, and Computing. Here, we host dialogues and conversations about the theories, tools, and social interactions that explore questions at the intersection of anthropology and science and technology studies. This bonus content is a reading from Platypus, the Castac blog. Enjoy! Embracing Black Positionalities, Recentering Slowness, a challenge to anthropology's anti-racism efforts. Anti-racism efforts remain highly problematic. As anthropologists, we are usually aware of the violent, colonial, and genocidal histories of research on race and realities of racism, which have been conducted in the names of scientific and social advancement. But now we find ourselves in the quote unquote post-George Floyd era, a phrase used to describe the current temporal phase of discourses on anti-black racism, as was articulated at the UK's first known black anthropologists conference called The Gathering. In the UK, the post-George Floyd era refers to a tragic but expected decline where constructive discussions about, empathy towards, and valued recognition of black lives have reached their peak in popular discourse and are returning to their tokenistic nature in academia. At the height of the global Black Lives Matter movement, and even in the immediate aftermath, late spring of 2020 to the end of 2020, there seemed to be small glimmers of hope that maybe, just maybe, the murder of a black man at the hands of actors of the state would act as a catalyst for the meaningful, long-lasting upheaval of many anti-black systems. Yet, two years later, in 2022, I find myself in the position of a black doctoral student studying anthropology in a state of disbelief and underwhelm. Whilst the society I am in has largely moved on, the academic spaces I am situated in seem to still be clinging on, mostly through EDI, anti-racism and decolonizing efforts. From discussions at disciplinary events to Twitter threads and one-to-one conversations, the subject of racism arguably remains quite prevalent in our disciplinary psyche, yet Despite what feels like an oversaturation of discussion and EDI initiatives, little progress has been made. By progress, I mean actions which have resulted in tangible improvements as defined and agreed upon by black academics, i.e. an increase in tenured black teaching staff and black students, greater funding investments given to and for black researchers, irrespective of whether our research is based on racism or not, black students and faculty reporting better emotional and mental health, and the institutionalization of anti-racism efforts. In many cases, most anthropology departments cannot claim to have seen any of these improvements, nor can most non-black anthropologists assert that they have used their power to fight for these changes wholeheartedly and unapologetically for the professional lives of their black peers according to our standards. 
at least not from what has um, been often repeated and lamented time and time again from the conversations that have been had, overheard, actively listened to, and slash or read from black anthropologists in the aftermath of 2020, the anti-racism turn. Black positionalities, embracement, partial acceptance, rejection. As a black woman anthropologist, I find myself at the heart of this critique. The critique that questions the authenticity and legitimacy of calls for anti-racism and decolonization from anthropology departments who have zero to one handful of black faculty, departments who can equally count the number of black students, postgraduates and undergraduate combined on two hands. Departments who sprinkle black and African scholarship into their elective modules, but whose core curriculum is still founded and centered on the works of weird academics and anthropologists who have so never as equitably collaborated with their black counterparts in research or teaching, again, according to our definitions of equity. As a black graduate student based in the UK, I find myself observing as I'm learning, taking it all in and constantly whispering to myself, what can we do? As a black woman socio-medical anthropologist researching black women's maternal health disparities and obstetric racism as a type of chronic crisis, I continuously look to my black peers, disciplinary elders and academic ancestors in search of the answers to the question, what can I do differently. As a migrant and lower working class individual, I always find myself asking, how can I make what I learn, research, write and say accessible for people like me? As a researcher occupying these intersecting positionalities, I find myself constantly gravitating towards centering these questions and this critique in everything I do. When I write about my research and the topics of greatest interest to me, for example, these are the contextual points that find their way into my main arguments and cannot be separated. The more I develop my thesis project, the more I embrace the small community of black academics and non-black allies slash radical friends, the more I ground myself as a scholar, thinker, researcher and anthropologist in my own right, the more I find that, simply put, I cannot write about race, racism, racial health disparities and anti-racism without embracing black positional positionalities. I cannot write about deconstructing anti-blackness and abolishing systemic racism without writing in first person or using personal pronouns, adjectives and adverbs without integrating anecdotes and personal stories, without drawing from the often overlooked knowledge from non-academic Black and African women slash peoples. I will not engage in anthropology's anti-racism efforts without remembering the positionalities, histories, pain, trauma and fights of my Black peers and elders in and out of the discipline and embracing them in my analysis and interpretations of what anti-racism actually means and could look like. In this, 
the binary between the personal and the academic does not exist as they are inextricably intertwined. They inform each other. Many of us who occupy spaces in the margins of anthropology and the ivory tower as a whole cannot operate according to the expectation and demand of sanitized and respectable articulations of our positionalities. For us, the hegemonic norms that insist we talk a certain way, write a certain way, take up space a certain way, are antithetical to the abolition of anti-black, deeply racist systems that continue to uphold and define the discipline. Yet, despite being vocal about the necessity of embracing our positionalities by not only ourselves, but those committed to anti-racism, we continue to be penalized and reprimanded for speaking and acting freely when contributing to efforts. Interestingly, and ironically, this is done by the anthropologists and self-identified allies who position themselves as champions of anti-racism. For example, there have been countless stories, tweets, and life histories shared of how the partial acceptance and even downright rejection of black positionalities speaking uncomfortable truth to weird power is often explicitly seen in peer review comments, assignment feedback, and research proposal remarks for black students and academics alike. One precedent case, which reflects a wider experience, was shared at the gathering. An elder spoke of how many years ago, she was told she was quote unquote before her time and was not permitted to pass her PhD submission because her approaches, questions and embracing of her slash broader black positionalities in the context of anthropology were deemed inappropriate and quote unquote irrelevant. Similar experiences of being told our writing styles, epistemological groundings and verbal articulations are quote unquote not academic enough were shared and found painfully relatable by several attendees, myself included. Be it in research, teaching, interpersonal relationships, peer review, mentorship, institutional level discussions, etc., a discomfort and lack of willingness to allow and encourage black anthropologists to embrace, explore, deconstruct and question our positionalities fully and unapologetically remains. This lack of willingness stifles anti-racism efforts and until both everyday anthropologists and the powers that be reckon with the hegemonic standards they have internalized and are yet to unlearn, any and every action done in the name of fighting anti-black racism will continue to be shallow, ineffective, and dare I say, racially traumatic to black anthropologists across all levels. Recentering slowness. Another element which I am increasingly witnessing to be detrimental to the discipline's anti-racism efforts is the culture of fast academia. As is expected in the neoliberal university, our labour is measured according to capitalist, hyperproductive standards. In learning about slow research as an ethic and meta-method, it is becoming clearer to me that slowness 
as is defined in the slow research paradigm, is an underutilized approach that should be key in our conceptualizations and praxis of anti-racism. Despite what one may assume, slowness is not solely about reduced pace, but at its core is about power, autonomy, structural violence and reclamation in how we use our time and labor, intellectual and otherwise. Slowness encompasses reading, writing, teaching, research, and how we engage with one another. It shifts the, di the dynamics so that we have the capacity to choose the pace we work at, sometimes fast, sometimes slower, without fear of repercussion from the powers that be, and without defamation of our character, work ethic, commitment to rigorous research, etc. Although slow research resides in the peripheries of what is deemed as acceptable, slowness has major implications for how we think through and do anti-racism, not least because it is complementary with black, feminist and decolonized approaches. At the most basic level is recentering a slow ethic in how we establish EDI initiatives and go about embodying and institutionalizing anti-racism. So often, the processes of institutionalizing anti-racism are rushed. They are treated like just another thing to take off departmental to-do lists as quickly as possible, with little thoughtfulness and carefulness given to the Black and other people for whom institutionalized anti-racism efforts directly link to our mental, emotional and physical health as well as the creation of intellectual safe spaces where we can thrive. Likewise, slowness is necessary for anti-racist research. Currently in the latter developmental stages of my thesis project, I am increasingly observing that slow reading and slow writing are crucial in my and my cohort's efforts to not only not objectify ourselves, because fast research easily turns us into pawns of the neoliberal universities, but also our collaborators, i.e. participants. For several reasons, including vulnerable discussions with my peers, I assert that having the time to thoroughly do our intellectual due diligence before we enter the field helps us to ethically engage with the people we are working with and studying. Again, it is not necessarily about having more time, but reclaiming how we use our allocated time to its fullest extent and potential according to the complexities of our individual projects and our needs. As a black feminist researcher, slowness better enables me to read more deeply and think creatively, which provides me with a stronger intellectual, methodological and ethical foundation from which I can give the black women I am researching and collaborating with the time they need and deserve before, during and after field work for the research to be as least extractive as it can be. Anti-racist research requires slowness, stillness, and carefulness. These are not options, but necessities. Consistently rushing through the thinking, reading, and writing processes objectifies the people we are wanting to study because fast academia treats them as intellectual commodities. 
The same principle applies to the institutionalization of anti-racism. It is time that we recenter slowness and embrace black positionalities to further develop the discipline's anti-racism efforts as authentic and reject tokenism in the post-George Floyd era. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any comments and feedback, feel free to share them with us on the blog. You can find the link to the post in the description of the episode.